The latest inflation data from StatsNZ shows insurance premiums are soaring. Is this simply the new norm? Home insurance premiums in the quarter to September are up by more than a fifth year on year. Contents insurance was up nearly 19%, while car insurance was up by more than 10% in the same period. The outgoing chief executive of the Insurance Council says high construction costs, severe storm damage and the cost of reinsurance are behind the rises. Tim Grafton will step down from the role next year after 12 years. He has serious concerns over where some houses are being allowed to be built, and he says this is one of the biggest questions for the sector. Tim Tenakwe, welcome. Thanks, as always, for your time. Kia ora. I'm very happy to be with you today. Over the course of those 12 years, you've seen quite some change as weather effects in particular uh, hit with greater frequency. Of course, that would have coincided also with the Christchurch earthquakes. But have we seen premium rises of this scale as consistently no. as we are seeing them now, Tim? No, yeah, probably not, because uh, it's uh, pretty much a, a perfect, well, an imperfect storm, if you like, um, because uh, certainly we saw premium rises following the Christchurch earthquakes. Uh, reinsurance costs uh, came in uh, uh, with very significant increases. So you'll recall the... Uh, uh, tsunami that hit Japan just a few weeks after the uh, February uh, 2011 earthquake in Canterbury, uh, and uh, there was a massive flooding in Southeast Asia uh, and bush bushfires in Australia. So at that time, we just saw reinsurance go up. What we're seeing now is reinsurance going up on the back of uh, extreme uh, climate events globally. Uh, going up between 20 and 40 percent, uh, and they can, that comprises about 20 percent of the cost to the end customer. Uh, and then there's inflation that's been going uh, very strongly uh, globally and locally, uh, and construction inflation uh, in the housing market, uh, in particular, impacting there. Uh, so construction inflation ran uh, at uh, last year around about 16, 17%. Then it came, it's come down to just a tad below 10% at the moment. So over the last couple of years, we've seen construction uh, costs uh, go up uh, close to 30%. Um, and then, of course, earlier this year, we've had $3.5 billion worth of uh, and climbing towards $4 billion. Uh, of claims coming out of the um, uh, cyclone and the Auckland anniversary floods. Uh, 1.6 billion of that was house insurance costs, uh, contents 256 million, and motor 220 million. What's, so those are the drivers yeah. of the costs. So if the reinsurance, which to remind people, is where local insurers go to do their borrowing, their buying of insurance that they on sell to us, so that's a fifth. Yeah. What's the story with why the reinsurers are increasing? Is it a global picture or are there things yep. specific to New Zealand that is driving their view? And second, will that continue to drive up their costs? Right. So it's, it's a bit of a combination here. Uh, so uh, first of all, globally, uh, we have seen very significant extreme weather events uh, around the world. Uh, uh, over the last 12 months, uh, Hurricane Ian uh, went through Florida, cost 65 billion US, I think, in terms of uh, in, insured losses there. Uh, we've seen um, 
uh, extensive flooding in northern Italy uh, just a few months ago. Uh, last year, the eastern uh, states of Australia, uh, New South Wales uh, and Queensland uh, had uh, multi-billion dollar uh, flooding there as well. So uh, it, it's happening pretty much all around the world, uh, uh, these extreme events, uh, and the severity of them uh, is, I think, catching and the suddenness of their arrival has caught uh, everybody by surprise, including uh, reinsurers who are providing, as you say, that uh, insurance for insurers globally. Sorry, and then come to New Zealand. Uh, so the narrative for New Zealand when we talked uh, to reinsurers used to be that we're all about seismic risk, and obviously we have earthquakes, but generally uh, climate uh, risks were at the lower end. So, uh, you know, even at $300 million a year, uh, it was something that was not really troubling the reinsurance. This year, because of these two events coming bang one on top of the other, we've got uh, losses of many, many, many times that. we, In fact, our losses from those two events are more than all the extreme weather events losses this century up until this time. Uh, so, as I said, between $3.5 billion and $4 billion. So our narrative to the reinsurers now is, yeah, we have seismic risk, but also, uh, you know, unfortunately, we have uh, we're vulnerable to uh, climate risks of a very large order that call on reinsurance as well. Okay, so, so can Zealand we just do something else, here. Tim? Because some of yeah. those costs, what we're talking about here is essentially home insurance of various kinds and yeah. vehicle insurance and property insurance. Yeah. And business, yeah. a lot of those costs, like rebuilding State 25A across the Coromandel, yeah. are outside of the scope of what the local insurers do. Right. So let's zero in on the specific yeah. costs affecting most homeowners. Why yeah. are we seeing contents insurance up nearly twenty percent as well? Yes, there will be damaged homes from those weather events that needed their contents replaced. But what can justify yeah. a twenty percent increase across the country? Oh, so, first of all, we're seeing general inflation, uh, as we all know, that over the past 12 months has been going at, I mean, I, I know the last quarter had it down at, uh, I think, just a tad under 6%. But 6 or 7% of that is just your, your standard inflation that's uh, feeding into uh, costs uh, around the place. Uh, as I said, $256 million worth of contents uh, claims 24,000 claims coming out of those two events earlier this year. That's on top of what you would expect uh, for, for a kind of what has been a normal year uh, up until uh, up until now. Uh, and depending on, uh, you know, the, the goods and services that are coming through, uh, sorry, the, the contents that are being imported or, or whatever, we might be seeing uh, higher costs coming through there as well. So, um you know, it's just a reflection that, uh, and, and your contents insurance can also cover you for, um, you know, uh, accommodation. Uh, if you're uh, renting a property, you cannot live in the property, it's uninhabitable, uh, then uh, if you have contents insurance, then that's paying out for that as well. So, so there's a lots of ways in which content is not just about trying to uh, replace a, a, a wet sofa. 
uh, or, or betting, it, it covers uh, a wider scope as well. Okay, so across all types of insurance, the, the rise averaged out at 9.6% in the year ended September, highest since the data series began in 2000. My question for you yep. is yes. what is the trajectory forward? Is the new normal 20% a year on home insurance and possibly not far off in contents insurance? Look, uh, I don't have a crystal ball to say that that will occur, but I don't think that of, of that order we would see because we have significant adjustments have, have come through from reinsurance uh, this year. Uh, stand, uh, uh, basic inflation is edging down, uh, so the pressure is coming d- down on those costs. Uh, but uh, you know, if there's one message out of all of this is that we just can't expect to keep on transferring uh, the cost to insurance without starting to think about how we reduce the risks, manage the risks better. Uh, because ultimately, if you think uh, that insurance can just keep on accepting and accepting uh, all the uh, the losses, uh, then uh, as the risks get higher, particularly with climate change, premiums will increase. Uh, and uh, we really want to keep people uh, well insured, but we're not going to do that unless we manage uh, our risk profile a lot okay. better. I do want to get to risk, although in some places it's hard to see how you avoid risk when they're in floodplains on the flat and they're slip prone on the hills. And these aren't irresponsible sure. decisions. These are the consequences of where we built in a country like ours, perhaps yep. without some of the geotech modelling and certainly without the fault line knowledge that we might have now. But there's one question yes. that's important to answer, Tim, and that is what has happened to the profit margins of our main insurers as these big events and costs have hit? Have they absorbed any of it? Oh, yeah, look, um, so uh, insurers need to be profitable in order to withstand uh, massive uh, uh, costs like we've seen this year or that we've seen from Canterbury. I mean, if we reflect on the last decade or so, uh, then uh, private insurance sector uh, losses uh, paid out will be, well, uh, just from the catastrophic events, will be in the order of 30 to $40 billion. Uh, so that's 3 or $4 billion a year over the last 10 years. Now, uh, insurers aren't making those profits. <laughs> Uh, then their, their profit lines are much, much thinner than that. Uh, and so... Uh, well, it, hang on. I'm looking at IAG's after-tax yeah. profit of Australia, yeah. $832 million, up 138% on the previous year. Yeah, so, so eight, $832 million. I, I, Look, I, I don't know the detail of IAG, and I can't speak for IAG, but uh, IAG will be protecting billions of dollars worth of assets here in Australia and New Zealand. So... Uh, if it's uh, making a profit of 830 million, and yet uh, probably uh, uh, you know facing a, a fair chunk of the three and a half to four billion dollars of insured losses uh, here in New Zealand alone, uh, so that would uh, exceed that 830 million, uh, and then of course across in Australia where they had about eight billion dollars of uh, uh, flood losses last year. Again, because it's a large player in the Australian market, it would be yeah, uh, something up for a big this was, chunk. This was New Zealand alone. Uh, across, okay, yeah, this was New Zealand alone. So, so your point yeah, is so, that the so, profit is historic and it will face the costs in this forthcoming financial year. Is that your point? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so you've got to be uh, there. So, so exactly right. You, you are co constantly trying to be profitable in order to be in a position to be able to purchase the reinsurance in order to be able to meet uh, of your own uh, balance sheet the uh, claims that come through without the reinsurance. Uh, and you're regulated uh, by uh, the Reserve Bank here to be able to sustain a one-in-one-thousand-year uh, seismic event. Uh, so uh, that will cost uh, you know, a very large chunk of money. So you've constantly got to have the capital and reinsurance to meet those costs. OK, let's talk about what you're alluding to, and we've discussed this previously, where, where we're building, where we're putting um, infrastructure uh, going forward. Because, as I said earlier, there are, there, I'm not going to name them, but there are, there are well-established yeah. entire cities and certainly <laughs> suburbs in this country uh, with, you know, thousands and thousands of residents, tens of thousands of residents and more, hundreds of thousands in some instances, where you look around and you think, OK, landslip risk, f um, flooding risk, whatever. Are you talking about where we build in the future or are you talking about uh, the risks surrounding existing inhabited areas when we talk about things like either withdrawal by insurers or exorbitant premiums? Okay, so uh, let's start with uh, stopping um, what I've said um, many times, uh, building in dumb places. So we should not be consenting new development in places where uh, we know uh, from climate change modelling that we're going to end up with people being flooded, uh, with lives uh, uh, potentially lost, uh, and the value of those properties just going uh, downhill uh, as a result of frequent flooding. So we should stop doing that and making the situation worse. You're absolutely right. We do have properties around the country that are in high-risk areas because of uh, um, you know, they were built possibly before even people were aware of climate change impacts or understood uh, the extent uh, of them. So, uh, you know, what we've got to start looking at for incumbent property is how do we, looking ahead, identify the highest risk areas, and we know the highest risk areas, uh, and the councils know the highest risk areas, and how do we um, fund uh, better protection of those properties. Now, in some instances, it may mean that you have to retreat, but that is a very complex, very costly, and, and takes a long time uh, to manage that. And to bring the community with you before an event has occurred is very, very difficult indeed. Uh, so we've got to buy ourselves some time. We've got to look at the range of adaptation met, uh, options that are available. And we've got to look at uh, how we fund this. Uh, this is That's going to be really challenging. We're only 5 million people. Uh, 5 million people today cannot uh, meet those costs. So we've got to look at how we spread the costs intergenerationally. We've got to look at bringing in private sector investment as well as public sector uh, uh, funding. Uh, in order to support the adaptation. And, and maybe we need to think smartly about how we encourage that private sector funding in uh, and look at the kind of infrastructure that we need to uh, have that's going to uh, last us for years to come and give us the time in order to, where we have to retreat, 
uh, manage that retreat in good order. Who's going to make those decisions? You've got central government, you've yeah. got local government. We've seen the faff that goes on every time they seem to solve, try and resolve oh. even the most simple things, like putting some pipes underground, which seem comparatively simple to this. Uh, do, do we need... I hate to bring this up, but do we need some kind of uh, overarching project on this that incorporates both um, or, or, or delegates both somehow? Because otherwise it's just the classic football gets passed from one to the other. One resists what the other wants to do. What would be your vision for it? Yeah, I, I think you, you, you're on the button there um, because uh, we tend to work in silos Um so, um, you know, we, we have uh, a science community that's focused on science excellence, uh, but uh, have we got standard flood mapping uh, around the country? Do we have open access for anybody to be able to access that uh, data to use to make uh, sensible decisions? Well, no, we haven't, but we're, it's a work in progress. Uh, we have uh, our finance sector, which funds growth, uh, but doesn't uh, focus on, on the risk management. Yeah, in some countries, if you want to build a uh, $100 million uh, commercial building in California, uh, then you go to your bank and your bank will ask you to require you rather, if you want the funding to build to a certain level of resilience. So we need to start thinking about if you are going to fund development, or what's the conditions around that development that needs to be put in place? Uh, to protect people and property in, in, in the future. Okay, and we need to connect that up across all those silos, including uh, insurance being part of that. A couple of points to finish. One is a lot of people saying, I didn't, bu- I didn't buy near the coast, why am I subsidising others? This is, this exactly. is a difficult argument because someone else will say, you know, I'm ch- paying more because I live in an earthquake-prone city and, and then another city's just had all these floods and slips. The principle of insurance is that we share risk. Yeah. That is getting more complex. Do yep. you see more companies moving to very specific um, and complex modelling to try and predict risk, however out of whack that can end up? But do you see that being the trend for many of these companies? Oh, I think, um, and not just insurers, I, I think as technology improves and we get a better sense of um, being far more granular around identifying risk, then that will be used. Uh, there'll be no point in not using um, uh, best si- uh, science and technology to do that. Um, it, it, how you, What you do with that information then is entirely up to you. So if you're a commercial operator as an insurer, uh, you might make decisions that you want to be very granular in that pricing uh, on a house-by-house basis, or you might make decisions that you might be uh, doing that on more of a uh, regional area, uh, or you might look at it uh, uh, as trying to sort yeah. of... Uh, it gets tricky, isn't it, country. when there's a fault line pops oh, yeah. up that no one knew existed, or um, an right. earthquake happens in a way where the old building stays standing and the brand new one falls down, which happened not too long ago. One more question. I need to correct myself. It was it was IAG across both its Australia and New Zealand operations that had the profit rather yep. than New Zealand, not surprisingly, impacted by the storms. Yep. And this is my yeah, other yeah. question for you, because IAG's got some big insurers here, right? State, NZI, AMI. Do you see a point coming where we will start to lose insurers because of our increasingly complex risk profile? Uh, I think the answer to that is no, and, and, and no because you know I've got 
confidence that we are going to work, uh, you know, sector by sector, collegially uh, in order to try and solve and manage the risks better for this country. You just can't sit sit on your bum and, and just uh, uh, do nothing. Uh, I think uh, there are, you know, after these events uh, earlier this year, I think there are thousands of people, whether in the Hawke's Bay, Tyrafferty or Auckland, who absolutely get it around being flooded uh, uh, out and, and the consequences of that. And I don't think they're going to put up with uh, local or central government uh, just trying to brush over and hope this never happens again, because it will happen again, and it probably will happen again more frequently and more severely. Tim, thanks very much. Tim Grafton is Chief Executive of the Insurance Council. Thanks for all your feedback, listeners. We'll get to that as soon as we can.